We are firmly in the middle of a teaching series called Apex, where we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' most famous sermon, and in it, he is constantly challenging what people thought it meant to follow God. He's constantly talking uh, about what everyone would have thought was normal, and he's either declaring that that normal is wrong or that normal is not enough, which was incredibly groundbreaking then, but it continues to be groundbreaking. It continues to be unusual and, and shocking to us if we let it be. Now, because we get stuck in a very normal way of living that is really far from how God wants us to live. It's, it's interesting how easily we drift toward this very comfortable, normal, day-in, day-out existence, and we think it's fine, we think it's normal, we come to church, we hear a sermon, we go through our routine, and we're fine with it. But if we ever just sat down and paid attention to the level of devotion Jesus calls us to, a lot of us would start to realize, I don't think I'm doing enough. I don't feel like I'm invested enough in what Jesus has called me to do. And one of the ways that Jesus challenges normal is what we're going to talk about, and what we're going to talk about today is in our, I'm going to say, obsession with the now. I mean, we live in a culture that is all about now. Uh, you see that in how uh, focused we are on instant gratification for pretty much everything, um, just how instantly we can satisfy almost any desire, any want we have, it's almost gotten to a hilarious point. I mean, I remember being a kid, and if I wanted anything, you had to wait till my mom went to town, like either once every week, once every two weeks, whatever mom went, you know, had time to go to the store, she worked, she was busy. You know what I do now if I want something? Whoop-boo, done, boom, in my, we're, we're done. Back in my pocket, I've already got it. Like, so if I realize we're out of uh, dishwashing detergent for the you know dishwasher. I don't have to get up. I don't have to try to remember. Oh, I got to put that on the grocery list later. No, I just get on my phone. Boom, order more. Boom, I don't have to worry about it. It shows up at my house two days later. Done. All is good. All is well. It's crazy how instantly we are able to have again anything we want. And in the last year and a half or so. I think a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us have become even more dependent on those instant gratification technologies. Uh, for instance, um, I mean, I would venture to say that a lot more people get stuff through Amazon than ever did before this. Um, you know, we were, I've always been an early adopter to tech stuff, right? And Amazon has a thing called subscribe and save. So there's a lot of stuff that we just, I don't have to worry about. It just shows up on a monthly basis, every other month, just kind of whenever we need it. Um, and so I'm just kind of used to that. And so when the pandemic started, you know, and there was like the toilet, the great toilet paper freak out of 2020, and everyone was buying, everyone's going to the store, and I'm like, those fools, why would they, I'm just going to get it on Amazon. And then I got to Amazon, and Amazon was like, sorry, we don't have any toilet paper here either. It was like I was a spoiled brat who got told no for the first time. It was like, Amazon has everything all the time. What do you mean you don't have toilet paper? Like, I, can't, I couldn't believe it. I didn't even know how to process that information. It just like, and then another thing that went away early in the pandemic, surprising, unsurprisingly, was the, the shipping companies got all backed up and, and dis disrupted. And so that precious, you know, like two-day shipping, one-day shipping that we were all used to, it slipped to like four, five, six-day shipping, and it was like, what am I going to do? It's like, I have to wait 
seven days for paper towels to get to my house? Like, why not just make me ride a fortnight on horseback, Amazon? Like, what is this? Like, the, old, like, the olden time? Like, it was amazing how we've become so used to this, right? And one thing that's so uh, I, I, kind of neat, I'm hoping it's not the norm for everybody, but, you know, when we couldn't go into restaurants, every restaurant, like, up their tech game, and now you can order your meal on your phone, you pull right up, they'll even bring it out to your car, hand it to you through the window. Like, that stuff has been incredibly convenient. You can even tell how many, like, sauces you want. Like, what a miracle. Like, for, I mean, for anybody who's ever gotten to the, the, the thing, and you've had kids yelling at you in the drive-thru, and you're like, and yeah, and then one of these, and then you get through, and you're like, I didn't ask for Chick-fil-A sauce. Uh, I mean, what's the point? I, we wasted a whole trip if you don't get the Chick-fil-A sauce, right? And so there's, there's those moments, and now you have this moment where you can sit down and calmly order all your stuff, and it just, it's instant. Everything is so instant, and we're so used to it. And probably one of the big instant technologies that we've had for a number of years, but that helped us survive and keep our sanity through all this, was online streaming. How many of you have some form of online streaming? Yeah, right? A lot of us, right? A lot of us have some form of online streaming. Um, in fact, um, if you're watching online, let us know what was your favorite show during the pandemic. I'm curious to see what that might be. Um, we, uh, here's the thing I remember being a kid, and not even a kid. Let me just back, like, fast forward even. Not even when we were a kid. Just when Abby and I got married, okay, one thing we did when we realized we were adults and we had adult money and we could actually spend it on whatever we wanted was we started going out and we'd buy seasons of TV shows. So we could binge watch before it was cool. And we you know, had several seasons of The Office and stuff like that. And we'd have to put in the DVD, right? And then you'd sit there, no kids yet, and we'd watch four, five episodes, whatever fit on a disc. And then the disc runs out and it's like, all right, who's getting up to change the disc? And it was like a, you'd have like this standoff moment. Like, like now, you don't have to do that. Like, we, it just feeds us more shows. And occasionally they'll say, are you sure you want to still be watching? Like, is this the right, are you making the right life choices? Like, it gives you that little prompt, you know? Um, but we got into so many things. This last year, we got into The Mandalorian. Uh, we watched WandaVision. Um, I'm sure we watched The Office through again. That's just kind of standard fare for us. Probably twice. Yeah, she's right. And one thing, I, I'm almost ashamed of it now, but, like, we got really into Tiger King, which, like, like every, like, so many people were into it. Even if you didn't watch it, you knew a little bit about it. It was, and now it's, we're all like, oh, gosh, were we, it's like looking back on your high school pictures, and it was like, did we really wear that? Like, was that, oh, I'm so embarrassed that we ever put that on. I feel that way about Tiger King. And so with things like Amazon and, and now, you know, Walmart, all the, all the major box stores have gotten into the shipping game and get things to your house quickly. Um, fast food places, can, you can order and just pick it up, not even have to go anywhere, talk to anybody, online streaming. We've got access to all this stuff in the palms of our hands through our phones. We don't have to wait for anything. And again, there's benefits to that. There's certain ways where that's made our lives nicer and it can be convenient, but we've got to be incredibly, incredibly careful with that because we have a tendency, like Jesus' audience 2,000 years ago, this is not a new human problem, we have a tendency to get obsessed with and focused with what's happening right now. And that's not always great. There's so many problems that come along with our, our lives, not just earthly lives, but our spiritual health when we focus only on what's happening and available now. Um, for instance, some of you might have encountered seasons in your life where you had financial problems because you decided you had to have something now. 
And rather than save up for the money and pay for it, you decided to you know, finance it, you know, 90 days, same as cash, three, 36 months, same as cash, whatever it was, and you get that thing that you couldn't wait for, and then an unexpected thing happens. Something breaks, your air conditioner breaks, your furnace breaks, your refrigerator dies, or maybe a health issue comes along, and all of a sudden, those payments that you signed up for because you couldn't wait become a burden because you had to have it now. Um, you can see this in relationships. There's lots of problems that can come when your focus in a relationship is only on now and never on later. Um, I, I've talked to people who um, basically set off a grenade in their relationship because they got obsessed with winning fights. And their whole perspective, when there was a disagreement or anything, was like, I'm going to win. And they would say things in that moment that, that satisfied their need to win now, but, it, but there was no thought of, are they going to be able to recover from these wounds I'm giving them just to win this fight? Are they going to be able to keep loving me later because of what I'm doing right now? When we get focused on the now, so many bad things happen. And, and there's just problems that happen in our lives when we focus on now, whether it's money problems, relational problems, and a dozen other kinds of problems that, we, that crop up in our lives when we consistently choose now over later. Which brings us to one of the problems that Jesus was trying to address in the Sermon on the Mount. That what normal people do, and it's a problem, again, it's a problem being normal. What normal people do, normal is being consumed with now while ignoring later. And we're all guilty of this. We're all incredibly guilty of this. Again, it's natural to think about now. I mean, there's a reason why you look at statistics and very few people save enough for retirement. Why? Because now always felt more pressing. Now always felt urgent. Now was always knocking at the door and later seemed like forever far away. And then all of a sudden you get there and you're like, oh, I don't, what are we going to do now? Because now is always knocking at the door. And so Jesus addressed this, this desire, our obsession with the now in Matthew chapter 6. And, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Feel free to follow along in a Bible app on your phone. If you brought a Bible, awesome. Um, but the verses will be on the screens, wherever you're watching. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. On earth means here and now. And treasure is a weird word to use because... I don't know what it makes you think of, but it makes me think of pirates and getting the map and finding the X and digging for buried treasure. Like, that's what I hear when I think treasure. But you can replace the word treasure with just money and stuff. Don't save up, hoard up money and stuff for now. And he, the point he gives us is, is that the reason we do that is because it's fragile. Okay? I mean, it's so common. And you might not use the word treasures to describe your belongings, right? But they probably have some level of value to you, right? That's why you have them. Whether it's you think, I'll use that later. Like, I mean, how many of you have a, a room full, a garage full of things that you aren't using? You, I might. And your heart's tied to it a little bit, and it's exciting, and you're gonna, you, know, you like having those things in your possession, right? Um, I'm not even going to have show of hands because we're all embarrassed about it, but how many of you have ever maybe now or had a season where you, your, your poor car couldn't fit in your garage, Right, yeah. Because, like, I used to make fun of people for that. And then I became one of those people, and it stopped being funny. And so, you know, we, we really pared down, and we can fit our car in our garage now. But it's a daily fight to make that the reality, to keep my, 
my car's house for my car and to not move my own stuff in. And so we pile up, honestly, we pile up stuff for ourselves. It's funny because in the last number of years, I've talked to several people who've moved, and everybody says the same thing. It's amazing how much you accumulate. It's, a, it's amazing how much you just settle in every drawer. If you don't have one drawer in your house right now that you fight to get open about 60% of the time you open it, right? Like you, you, you probably don't have a problem with this, but the rest of us do. And so there's this often this, this, again, obsession we have with accumulating more. And most of us don't even realize it. It's just natural. It's the natural thing we do. And we have piles of stuff, more than we need. And often that abundance comes from some of the newest and nicest things that are available. But again, Jesus points out why this is a foolish endeavor. And it's that everything you have here is vulnerable. Everything that you have here is vulnerable. It can be destroyed. He says moth and rust and thieves. Those are the examples he uses. Um, but it could be moth, uh, moths. It could be an, a number of other critters. It could be rust. It could be fire. It could be tornadoes. All those things can destroy in a moment those things that you have acquired for yourself, those things that mean so much to you. A few weeks ago, uh, we went to my father-in-law's house. Um, he now lives where Abby's grandparents had lived their whole life on the uh, on the farm, and we were going through barns that they had filled with belongings, and they had used to own, I didn't know this till we were going through it, they used to own an antique store, so they had just all kinds of stuff, and we're just pulling, it really was a little bit like a treasure hunt, because we were going in and finding boxes and moving these pieces of furniture, and what was upsetting at the same time as you're finding these treasures was you would find these huge, massive pieces of furniture that were destroyed by mice, Itty-bitty little mice over the years of them making nests, burrowing in, going to the bathroom, all that stuff. I mean, these beautiful pieces of furniture that were warped and chewed up and just utterly ruined because, again, a few little mice got in there and decided to do their thing. And uh, another thing was a few years ago, uh, my parents' house got robbed, which is so weird. We live out in the middle of nowhere and apparently some career criminal, petty criminal, just parked uh, down at a little old gas station that's no longer there, cased the place, waited till they left one day, walked in, and stole a bunch of stuff that had a lot of sentimental value. Some of it had monetary value. Some they got back. Some they didn't. They ended up catching the guy. And, and it was just like all that stuff that was so valuable, poof, gone in a second. And one thing we know here in Loami, we've learned the hard way, was that weather, tornadoes can show up and obliterate everything you've, you've owned. And scattered across the entire county. And some of it you'll find and some of it you won't. That's just the, exactly Jesus' point. You can work for a lifetime to hoard up earthly treasures. And one day it's gone. One moment you have nothing. It's incredible how, how frail these things are that we spend so much time investing in collecting. Years to build up, moments to lose. And so Jesus goes on with a better alternative in verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says the better investment instead of now is later. So treasure on earth is money and stuff. But what is treasure in heaven? What does that mean? Well, I got to think about, okay, as far as I can tell, what from this life is going to make it to the next life? Nothing. No thing. Okay, let me, ask it, let me ask it this way. Who is going to make it to the next life? Boom. Those who belong to Jesus. 
If you want to put treasure, if the only thing that you have any power to move from this life to the next is a person who has heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and surrendered to the saving power of Jesus. And so we spend our whole lives getting new cars, new houses, new stuff. But how many Christians would honestly, if they, were, if they had to admit it, have never told anyone about Christ? Have never shared the gospel with a person that they love and care about because it was awkward or weird. And yet, that is really the only thing that we have any power of moving from this life to the next life. Now, there is another way that this means, um, that treasure in heaven can can mean. And it's, um, the Bible often talks as if those who are saved, there's different levels of rewards that we will receive once we're in heaven, depending on our faithfulness and our obedience. But we don't know what that is. So we could talk and speculate all day, but we don't know what that stuff is. What we do know is that we have the ability to share the gospel, to live in the footsteps of Jesus in a way that that shows people the love and care and grace that overflowed from him and should overflow from us so that we can help as many people as possible move from this existence to the next. And so one way to invest in heaven, to store up treasure in heaven, is to help people find heaven, to help people find Jesus. Because you can't take your money, you can't take your car, you can't take your diplomas, you can't take your kid's batting average, you can't take any of that with you. But you can help people get there. Now, one of the main ways I think that we can invest in heaven is by doing things that we can do to invest in ways that share the gospel, either personally or investing in other ministries or other people that can do that. Um, one thing that Abby and I have been determined to do ever since we were married and so far, we followed through by God's grace is we've determined to give every, 10% of every dollar back to the church. And that's been challenging. Um, it's been, uh, you know, difficult at times because every once in a while I have that thought was, boy, what could we do with our life? What could we have if we didn't give anything to the church? But then we got to come back to something like this. It's like, yeah, I can accumulate all this stuff that could be destroyed in a moment. Or we can invest in something that's hopefully helping people find Jesus. Investing in heaven could also be, again, you as grandparents and parents working with your children to raise them up in the gospel, to share um, Christ with them in ways that, you know, challenge their brains. Because kids will ask you incredibly difficult questions that make you kind of like sit and go, I don't know. Well, you could spend some time learning some of those answers, helping them work through and build a faith that is substantial. Um, For a lot of us, um, the story of how did you become a Christian? Mom and dad brought me to church. Here I am, I'm a Christian, I'm still going to church. That worked for a lot of us, but that doesn't work anymore. Our kids are receiving more counter messages in a day through YouTube, through school, through TV, through everything else. They are receiving more counter messages in a day than many of us received in our entire lives. And so they have questions that we did not ask at that age. And so as parents, one of the best things we can do is start to equip ourselves to work with them and help them answer their questions and build a firm foundation on Christ. And so what this means is investing in heaven is I think we do things to share Christ with others so that as many people as possible will make their way to eternity. So you can invest in the now, which is short term, because nothing in this world ever really lasts. Or you can invest in the eternity of people of this world and lead them to a treasure that can never be taken from them or you. And then Jesus closes with a little statement that is one of the more famous verses in the Sermon on the Mount. In uh, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I used to read this backwards and understand it backwards. I kind of thought that it was, 
where your heart is, there your treasure is going to be. Like, if you look at someone's, you know, bank statement, you can say, and look at what they spend their money on, you make, oh, this tells you what they care about by what they spend their money on. Look at someone's calendar and see where they put all their time, saying, this is what they care about, you can see. And that is true, okay? You, you do invest in the things where your heart is, but this says the opposite, that not just that your your treasure follows your heart or that your investment follows your emotions. No, Jesus is saying the opposite here, that your emotions will follow your investment, that where you store things is where your love, where your heart, and where your, where your affection is going to go. And one thing you'll notice is I think there's a lot of Christians, and this used to be me, who have no desire for heaven. In fact, look at heaven like scary like heaven and death, ooh, I don't, want, I don't want that to happen, that's bad, I like now, I want to live my life now, I've got a lot of fun things now, and you have this, a lot of Christians who just don't think heaven sounds like really, like maybe I'll get to that, maybe one day it'll sound fun, after I've done all the fun stuff here. And I think part of the reason is, we've spent all our energy investing in now, storing up now, getting our stuff here for now, and our hearts have followed our treasure, and we haven't stored up anything for heaven. And one thing that happens as you get older is that God takes things from you in this life and puts them in heaven, or people, I should say. Um, because as you get older, you, you lose more people, and more people move from this life into heaven. And I've seen so many people, and the older they live, there's, you know, especially the oldest people who are Christians, they just get this sense that this life has lost its luster because their treasure's gone. The people they love aren't here anymore. And I think that's something that God does to us intentionally to pry our hearts away from this earth and put them where they need to be. My grandpa, he lived till he was 91. And in those last few years, I'll just, I, I mean, he, wasn't, he didn't seem like my grandpa anymore. He just lost that spark of life that he had. Um, his friends had all gone before him. His wife had passed away. Two of his four kids had passed away. All of his siblings had died. And there was just this sense of him like, why am I here? What's the point anymore? The majority of the people that I care about aren't here. This, he's like, I'm old, my body hurts, I don't want to be here anymore. He was incredibly clear that he didn't want to be here anymore, and he didn't know why God was having him hang on. And I, but as I watch him and I think back on that, I think, man, what a clear example of his perspective shifting from being, his heart being here and now to his heart being on the glory that is to come. At that point in his life, he had more treasure on the other side of death than he had on this side of death. And I think, again, I think that's something God does intentionally. But it shows that your emotions will follow your, your treasure, your investment. And this world had nothing for him anymore. And he didn't care about this world anymore. In fact, he was oftentimes depressed and despairing in this world because it just had lost its luster. And so your treasure doesn't follow your heart to the extent that your heart follows your treasure. So let me ask you something. What are you investing in? Are you a now person? And you could probably say, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I struggle with it. I'm a now person. Most of the time, I, I mean, I get the same, buy this, new car, that. I mean, the things cars do now blows my mind. When I was younger and I first like, started moving through the process of you know, moving from one car to the next, it was like, okay, I got a newer car. Like, now when you get a, like, jump from one generation of car to the other, like, there's a whole set of, like, things that cars do now that they didn't used to do. Cars, cars rub your back now. Like, what? Cars have massaging seats in them. 
All I wanted out of my last car was an auxiliary port so that I could plug my phone in and listen to my own music. Like, it's amazing what they, like, it's so, it's so easy. It's so easy to get stuck in the now, and that's what this is about. It's a warning, and that's why it's so relevant 2,000 years later is that it's us being humans. To get, that's, that's what the human brain does. We get stuck in the now. And Jesus is saying, oh, there's so much more than that. And when you get stuck in the now, your perspective is so small and so limited. And this world is not forever. This life is not forever. And it goes faster than we think. And at the end of our lives, do we want to have a heart that is eager for heaven? Do you want to have a heart that hungers for what is next because there's not just rewards coming for you because you had good church attendance and you love Jesus and love people, but do you want to go to heaven because you know so many people that are there, not just because they're your family and they went to church with you, but because you helped them get there. You shared Christ with them. And, and I think for so many of us, when we just keep living in the now, living in the now, I think we're going to be so sorry. We're going to be so full of regret that our vision was so narrow, that we were so short-sighted. And I think what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here is hopefully that we shouldn't trade what we want most for what we want now. And I mean, honestly, if I, yeah, what I want most is I want to have my kids with me in heaven. I want my grandkids to be with me in heaven. I want my parents, my brother, my sister, their kids. I want, to, I want that to be a relationship, uh, a family gathering that we can enjoy throughout all eternity. That's what I want. Grandkids, kids, great-grandkids, all that. I want my family tree to keep on growing once I get to heaven, you know, when they, people keep coming there. That's what I really want. But am I living every day like that's what I want? No, I often trade. I make the mistake of trading what I want most for what I want now. And that's what average people do. That's what normal people do. Normal people miss out on what Jesus has for us. And the joy, oftentimes, that what so many Christians miss is being a part of helping people find Christ and develop a deepening, lasting relationship with Him. He wants us to live lives that don't just look like everyone else's, lives that aren't just average. He wants us to have lives of purpose, lives of meaning, lives that are constantly investing in what's next. Jesus calls us to live not for now, but for later. And when you live for later, you get to experience a life that is far, far greater, both now, because you got the joy of baptizing people and sharing the gospel with them and hugging them through their milestones of life, not just now, but also later as you spend eternity with them celebrating in the perfection of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful and thrilled for this teaching. It is such a shocking thing. And... And it would have been shocking to the people in the ancient world who many believed that the more they had, the more God had favored them. That the more treasure came into their life, that just meant that God had loved them and, and favored them more. And here Jesus is saying that maybe that's a backwards way of thinking. That Jesus is calling us not to invest in this world, but in the next. Because this world lasts but a blip on the scale of human history. Our lives here are so short-lived, and the impact we will make on this earth for many of us, it will be forgotten in 50 to 100 years. But when we are actively sharing your word, actively serving in a church, and actively uh, caring and, and investing in a ministry that, that helps people find and, and hear the gospel and have salvation, 
That's a reward that we are going to benefit from for all eternity. Every time we wake up in a day in heaven and we see somebody there that we played a part in leading them to Christ, that joy will be indescribable, indescribable as we as we see that we changed eternity, we changed an eternity, that you gave us the opportunity and the power to make a difference in someone's eternity. And I, I just pray, Father, that we would look forward to that gift that rewards us every day for millennia and millennia to come, rather than the short-lived experience of new phones, new cars, a few extra uh, hobbies along the way. Let us not be people of now, let us be people of later. By your Holy Spirit, would you shift our eyes to what matters most so that we can invest in what matters most. And then I pray, Father, that as we invest in the right things, that you would draw our hearts there if they aren't in the right place now. If our hearts are in the now, I pray that you would draw them away so that we would be incredibly focused on what comes next because that's, that's the goal for all of us. So help us, Father, not to be people who are focused on what is immediately happening in front of us, but people who have a farther-sighted vision of what eternity means, not just for us, but for every other person we come in contact with. It's in Jesus' name we pray.